Hello and welcome to the Mojo Podcast, part of Mike's Open Journal. Here we're going to be talking about mental health and all things related. That includes illness, wellness, stigma and support, and importantly some of your very own personal stories. I want to thank you for being part of Mike's Open Journal as guests, as visitors, as speakers, as listeners. Welcome to the world of mental health. And remember, you're not alone out there. These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. She's not a great match for me, and that's okay. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. I feel like a lot of the friends that I did have have sort of stopped speaking to me because of it. And the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. Not only did this help me to write it, Mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. And she was like, can you tell me a bit about what's going on? So I told her everything and her face dropped. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it. Hello and welcome to the Mojo Podcast and to episode 125. I'm delighted to have you guys here once again. Thank you so much for continuing to download, uh, hopefully subscribe, uh, and being part of the podcast and being part of this conversation around mental health and other related topics as well. Uh, Welcome to 2019 as well. So um, I haven't quite worked out the scheduling as I'm recording this one, but... uh, I think my episode with Mel, where we talk about her becoming Geek Magnifique, uh, is going to go up around New Year, so this will probably be the first, or possibly the second, but I think the first episode of 2019, so I hope you all had uh, a great or as happy as possible uh, Christmas festive period and New Year, um, and are feeling positive for 2019. Um, For this first episode of the year... I, I wanted to have a look back at, uh, at 2018 at some of the, I guess, general talking points, personal experiences, and um, just be a little bit reflective, I guess, as we kind of roll through this new year period. And I um, I was delighted to be joined by Victoria and by Molly uh, as we kind of looked back and, and had a chat about our 2018s. We stretched that a little bit. <laughs> um, so we do go back past or further back than 2018. Um, to talk about some things but it was yeah it was really nice again to sit down um, and have a chat about a a real range of topics we spoke about um, some well-being tips and tools that we've used that we think are really useful we speak uh, a little bit about diversity in the media um, issues around kind of mental health conversations gender identity um, zero suicide uh, we also touched loosely on kind of mainstream media, the Royal Wedding, very, very loosely on Brexit, uh, the World Cup. Wow, I just, we ticked off quite a few things, I think. Um, it was an amazing conversation and I am 
very hopeful that uh, Victoria and Molly will be coming back onto the podcast later on this year to share a bit more of their uh, personal stories uh, and their experience and their thoughts around mental health. Uh, so I look forward to inviting those girls back in future. So I say a huge thank you to them for coming on to the podcast, for sharing their stories and their experiences. Um, yeah, it was ace to sit down and have a chat with them. Do make sure you check them out. Obviously, their links uh, and stuff are in the description as usual and at the end of the episode. If you are interested in coming on to the podcast like Victoria and Molly, please do get in contact uh, let me know a little bit about yourself and um, what you'd like to talk about on the podcast. And you can find all of the details um, over at mikesopenjournal.com. But for now, uh, I'm going to put you guys straight in to... No, you wouldn't be in the hot seat because the hot seat would mean you're talking. The listening seat, I guess. I'm not sure. Uh, the listening seat. Yeah, why not? Um, I'm going to drop you guys straight in to our conversation. So thank you so much for being part of Mike's Open Journal and of being part of this place where we talk and we listen to people's stories and experiences around mental health, but also a few things linked in, not always as directly as you'd think, but I mean, what can you say? We've got the royal wedding and Brexit in here somehow, so there you go. Um, thank you so much for downloading and here's this week's episode. Molly, how has your day been? Well, my day has been good, quite long um but no yeah good nice to get out in the fresh air for a couple hours and just I'm in an off annual leave from work at the moment so it's um a couple days of nothing which is lovely actually oh that's good I've taken a couple of days as well so I don't I think I I go back in on Friday uh because I need to prep for the Monday but it's like actually to go in for a Friday do a little bit of work and um I'm gonna meet someone for lunch I was like actually it'd be a really nice first day back (laughs) yeah yeah that's such a lovely first day I know (laughs) oh dear how about you Vicky uh my day has been very different so I had actually planned to get up and go to park run but then I ended up sleeping in a bit more than I would have liked so we just ended up me and my boyfriend we ended up just chilling most of the day so we went for lunch and then chilled in the house but I am exhausted have you ever have you ever had the feeling of you don't really do anything but yet you're more tired Mm. If you do nothing rather than if you do something. So I've kind of been going out of that flow today, but thankfully I'm starting to waken up again. Probably not at the best time, but um, I am getting there. So it, it was an overall good day. I had, um, what was it the other day? I just struggled to get to sleep. And I think I ended up going to sleep about four o'clock. And then I woke up at about nine. And I was like, oh, that's not too bad. I've, I've woken up at a normal time. So I'll be tired and I'll just go to bed early. But then I slept mm-hmm. like in the middle of the day and it's just, it throws you out so much because there's too many yeah. days in a row of not doing anything. Yeah, no, completely. Um, well, Ace, it sounds like we've had um, like a varied, a varied day. I feel like I, yeah. you've given me a little bit of competition for not doing too much today, <laughs> but you were at least thinking about going out and doing a park run, which I feel like puts you on much, <laughs> at least there's yeah. some thought there. Um so yeah, I don't know if um, if Molly, you want to kind of introduce yourself a little bit, tell us a little bit about um, yourself. Yeah, so I'm very new to the, the mental health community and the world of Twitter, um, etc. So I um, finished my master's in forensic psychology this year. Mm. So technically, I've done stage one of my forensic psychology qualification. Um, 
which is really exciting. Um, I work in mental health. I work with young people who have been arrested, who have got kind of complex mental health needs. Um, and yeah, that's basically what I do. I'm on the Piglitish podcast, do a little plug there. <laughs> um so I do that every week um yeah so like I say I'm really new to all kind of mental health stuff at the moment um part of this community but I'm literally loving it so much so far it's really cool because you're um kind of like almost like the resident expert aren't you on um the Piglitish podcast so you get to actually be engaged with quite a few different conversations and hear a few different stories as well yeah and I absolutely love it and being called a resident expert is just terrifying <laughs> as an expert in the slightest but I mean I spent five years at uni so I must have learned something but um yeah no and it's amazing it's such an amazing opportunity and like you say hearing the stories and being engaged with so many different types of people that I wouldn't meet in my daily work life necessarily mm. um so yeah I love it I love it so much no I do like I like the side of um I think it's really good and it's really important that we encourage people to talk, but there is that balance sometimes of having someone that's um, obviously the way you do it is slightly different. So you're not necessarily engaging with the person whose story it is. And I like that side of um, having someone that's outside of the conversation that is more knowledgeable, that is more informed and qualified to sort of say, oh, these might be some useful things that, that can help. And um, yeah. often I think that's the thing. Sometimes we miss out because there's so such a, pressure on waiting lists and services and things like that and just drawing on actually there's lots of information um or online from really credible sources um and places like mind and time to change and even sometimes the nhs website and i think <laughs> it's it's using some of those resources as well and that's that's what i really like about having you on on piglitish yeah yeah no it is amazing and it's just nice to get answer questions where I can and give advice and mm. just little tips that I've picked up that have helped people across the years I've worked in mental health so yeah hey it's very exciting uh and Victoria can you tell us a little bit about yourself as well yes so I am from Belfast in Northern Ireland and I would call myself a part-time blogger because mm-hmm. um, I'm not fu- I'm not full-time uh so I mainly write about lifestyle, fitness, and over, I would say, the past year, I started talking about mental health on the blog and mm. on Twitter as well, um, just because it was something that was coming up a lot in my life, more than probably ever before. Mm. So I thought I needed to talk about that. Um, I'm also plant-based and gluten-free, so I also um, tweet about that a lot as well. And I've started into minimalism. I actually Ooh. started about a year and a half ago. Yeah. But it's been kind of a slow, I suppose, a slow burden. So I'm gradually getting there. Um, and I'm also a runner and a cyclist as well. Oh, awesome. I've seen a few of your, um, like the fitness related stuff, I think possibly before I saw anything um, around sort of kind of the mental health side. And I, oh. I really like, um, there's a few people that I've noticed that are more um, kind of, fitness or running related I guess the running side is more what I would follow um and and seeing an increase in terms of uh the amount of not necessarily mental health focused posts but kind of the inclusion of mental health within the conversation or within their post that is focusing on something else yeah Um, and I really like that side because I don't think everyone has to focus on mental health and it's recognizing the role that it can play in other things and particularly with fitness yeah it's great in terms of uh 
um, uh, words, damn it. <laughs> like a, not a treatment, but um, like a supportive tool. Uh, yeah. But I think it's also a really good thing in terms of just general wellness. So whether you feel like you're struggling or not, actually trying to do a little bit more or recognising the stuff that you already do um, is really important. So it's quite cool to see that reflected in terms of uh, people's communication uh, and conversations around fitness. Yeah, no, absolutely. I remember when I first started running, so I started running about, I would say it's been about a year and a half. Well, yeah, I would say it's about been a year and a half. And I was going through a very kind of depressive episode. And I'll talk about that later on because it's, I, I wouldn't classify myself as depressed because mm. no one has ever diagnosed me as that. Mm. But I know that I go through depressive episodes. But I remember one time, because my boyfriend actually got me into running. So he says, oh, you know, come on out for a run, like you'll feel better. Mm. And I was very, I was very, very hesitant because I knew that that wouldn't work. So I went out anyway. And I actually wrote a blog post about this and I wrote it very freshly after the run because it was one of the worst runs of my life. I remember we were running down and it was a nice, um, it was a nice towpath. So it was a lovely view. It was kind of by the sea. And I remember just crying, but I was running as I was crying and I burst into tears about five times. And my boyfriend Cab asked me, he said, you know, what's wrong? Like, let's stop. Let's talk about this. And I went, no, I need to keep running. And it was almost like I was trying to run away from all my problems. Mm. And I think I described it to him as being trapped in a, you know, one of those wheels that guinea pigs have. And it was almost like being told everything you've ever said, everything anybody's ever said to you, any bad thing you've ever done, any embarrassing thing you've ever done, and having that constantly going Mm. on and on and on. And I couldn't get out of it. Um, And it was really scary. So I wrote that post and... I suppose one of my um, one of the most infuriating things that I see online, and this might be a bit controversial, I don't believe it is, but um, there's so many mental health posts going about saying, "Oh, you know, if you know if you're feeling a bit down, go out for a run, go out for a walk, mm. have a cup of tea." And yes, those things are great, but if you're in a very depressive state, a run isn't going to help you. It could. It could make it worse. And for me, it was one of those situations where I thought, I wish I'd never done this. You know, you always hear from like PTs or people in general, you know, you'll never regret the workout you just done. I did. And it took me a few days to get over it. Um, so I mainly wrote that post because I wanted to show that, you know, going out for a run is great. And I absolutely love running now. Um, and I love going to the gym. I'm, I'm kind of one of those gym bunnies. Hmm. But I think it's important to also let people know that not every run is going to cure you not every run is going to make you feel better and you might feel crap after it but it's about recognizing that and writing those whether it's writing those feelings down or talking to somebody about it but it's just letting people know that that's not always the answer and I think that's one of the gripes that I have with people talk about mental health um that they think oh well, if this person says it works, then it obviously has to work. But I think running has played a huge, huge part in building my positive mental health back up. But mm. it still sometimes has a downfall as well. I think um, I think my view is that it depends on how someone's talking about that. So if someone says uh, like running or exercise can help, I mm-hmm. think that's good. And I know, like for me personally, it, it does. Um, but I also recognise like it's not going to help for everyone. 
So if someone's okay. saying it like in a general sense, like going out for a run will help you, no, mm-hmm. it, it, it might not. Like it does help me. So if they're saying it to me, yeah. that's useful. But I, yeah, I know people that have tried to go out and they're like, no, I get bored. I'm not interested. I'm generally not like a, a sport person. So for them, it would be more like encouraging walking or doing something that's like low endurance or um, like craft or something else. Running yeah. is not going to be the thing for them. Um, but I think it's, um, like you say, in terms of the year, I'd say it's something that I did a reasonable amount at the start. It's definitely dropped off for me in the last six months. And it's actually part of, um, I'm going to try to do a virtual running challenge next year. Um, oh, cool. So this, year, <laughs> this year I've run, I looked on my um, uh running out the other day that I've run 33 or 34 miles this year so my aim for next year is to do um 500 kilometers which is 311 miles Um, oh wow so it's a massive (laughs) (laughs) it sounds like a long one can you tell (laughs) um (laughs) well it's like what what did it work out to be it's like 0.7 or 0.8 of a mile every day um so I'm like, it's a hard challenge, but I think mm-hmm. it's something that's achievable. Um, and I yeah. need that motivation to do it. And so the fact it's over a year gives me kind of that push. Um, oh, yeah. Again, it's, it's finding that thing that works for you and not going, look, I know running is something that I can do, that I want to do, that I'll enjoy it once I'm actually doing it. The getting out, mm-hmm. out of bed or back from working and going out again is not something I'm going to enjoy. But once I'm out there, it's good. Um, yeah. But I don't know, like, obviously we've got a similar, I guess, experience in experience around running and around doing that exercise and wanting to do it. But I don't know, mm-hmm. what's your thought on on that idea of just going out for a walk or just going out for a run, Moni? Um, like, do you think that's a useful thing to say or do or I don't know? Yeah, so I'm one of the biggest hypocrites when it comes to exercise, because I always tell um, the young people I work with, you know, I try and link them up with the sports team, Mm. like mainly because that's they can meet peers as well. And it's like a social activity. Um, And I grew up playing hockey. So I played a a team sport and I loved it. And I went to uni and I played it there. But I haven't played since leaving uni because the experience changes kind of the older you get and you're not playing with your age group necessarily anymore. And I just wasn't enjoying it as much. Um, I ha- I say I'm not a runner now. I have run two half marathons, so I've given it a good go, but I just did not enjoy it at all. And I just couldn't click with it. I was, like you said, I was bored. Mm. I just wasn't motivated. And I just found, oh, didn't, it didn't make me feel better. It didn't, I'd come back and feel exhausted. And I joke with my friends that my body doesn't create endorphins because I just, <laughs> would to, I do exercise and I don't feel good after it. Um, so I rejoined the gym this year after a year off. Um, and I stuck at it for about two months and I haven't been since. So I've paid my gym <laughs> membership for a couple months and I just haven't been. Um, but I'm part of my new year is to try and go back a bit more um because even if I don't feel good mentally after it at least I've been to the been to the gym and exercise mm. and it's probably better physically for my body um but it is something we do we're encouraged to say as mental health professionals we're encouraged to encourage mo- um exercise um 
but like if you're not feeling well that's the last thing you want to do is drag yourself out mm. and I think yeah. that's really important to when I'm talking to either people professionally or kind of personally about exercise and supporting their mental health I'd always say just do what you want to do because there's nothing worse than you're feeling a bit rubbish and then you tell yourself you're going to go for a run and you can't bring yourself to go you then feel guilt and shame and even worse mm. so I think it's about listening to your body and your mind about whether actually is this going to help me in the past has it every single time helped me because if it has then okay I'll go I'll give it a shot but like you say Victoria if it hasn't helped you don't force yourself to do it because why put yourself through something that's not going to make you feel better yeah I think the real difference is that you know when you should push yourself and when you shouldn't push yourself mm-hmm. and I think back then I continued and continued just to push myself harder and harder but now I realize that you know sometimes I am okay to go out for a run sometimes I really really can't face it but I think it's as long as you recognize that and are aware of that then I think that's when you can kind of create that real balance mm. I yeah. mean away from kind of running and physical exercise is there something in the last year that you found has been really good for you um, in terms of like your mental health or just general well-being or like a really cool social activity that you feel has been beneficial that you've kind of discovered in the last year um for me um I was off for a few months and we'll probably talk about that a wee bit later but every week I would make it a point to go to one of my favorite coffee shops uh for a few hours actually and I would continue to write blog posts. And I would say that blogging um, this year has been great for me, especially over the summer, because I did have so much free time and because I had so much to talk about, I was able to throw myself into that. Um, and I think there's a lot to be said, you know, for you to be able to write down your thoughts. And maybe, you know, I think a lot of people sometimes have the, you know, the thought that, oh, no one's going to read my blog. But it doesn't really that doesn't really matter to me because I was talking to my boyfriend about this the other day it really doesn't matter to me so much if no one's reading it Hmm. but it's just a way for me to get my thoughts out I suppose blogging is like an online diary and it just depends on how you want to put it out there so if you want to you know get a million followers or if you just want to sit down and say your thoughts then either way is completely fine but for me writing about kind of my experiences of being made redundant and um you know, how my health and fitness has gone and, you know, little bits and pieces like that. When I started writing a lot of thought pieces as well, I find that really helpful because I was able just to kind of blah on the page and then Mm. edit it out. And that for me was really, really helpful because I was able to sit there with a cup of tea and kind of clear my mind once I'd obviously written it on the page. And then I was able to readjust everything Mm. and, it was just a, you know, it was a, it was a nice kind of headspace for me because I hadn't had that for such a long time because I'd always been so amped up on stress. And now that I didn't have that particular work stress, part of my mind was almost clear. Uh, so I would say that was something that really helped me this year. I think definitely that idea of of blogging. I think particularly this year, I guess the like the whole. Uh, like influencer world has kind of really blown up in the last sort of year two years and there are more people that are doing it because they want it to be a full-time or part-time job and um, get involved with different things but there's a real um, place I think for those people that want to blog and just share their story Mm -hmm. and if it's read by two or three people that's enough Um, and it's uh, 
I think it's kind of reaffirming that for some people because so many people are now um, kind of not necessarily chasing numbers, but are looking at that bigger picture and what they want to achieve from having a blog. And, and that's great. Um, but I do think, yeah, like actually as a, as a coping strategy, as a, like a wellness tool, just writing down what you're going through or what you're thinking um, is a real positive. And then just knowing that you're sharing that and other people have the opportunity to read it, um, yeah. I think is enough and is a really cool thing that um, I think more people, not necessarily blogging, but the writing side, just sitting down and writing and keeping a, a journal or a notebook um, is something I, I think should be encouraged a little bit more. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Mm. What do you think, Molly? Yeah, so we, I'm a massive fan of um, like gratitude lists and that can be included in part of like a diary entry almost or like at the end of a blog entry, like how basically, like you say, writing down your thoughts and writing down what you're grateful for because when you have those bad days, coming back and reading those posts or those entries when you're like I say feeling a bit worse you can read your own writing your own wording about when things were going a little bit better or how you coped when things were going badly before and it's kind of like almost a form of self-therapy almost so it's part of it is writing it down is so therapeutic and cathartic and then if you want to going back and reading it can be incredibly therapeutic as well yeah I think it's I I, I don't I guess because I've always thought of craft as um, like a leisure thing, whereas writing has never really been that. I've always thought of it as more of an academic activity and it's getting people mm-hmm. to understand that it can be sort of that craft style. I've seen people before do um, like short writing activities where you sort of do a, like um, you write one line, someone else writes another line or you're given a set like half of a story and you write the second half and there's loads of stuff that you can do that's more um like leisure or game orientated I guess um to move away from that mindset of that traditional like sit down write a story type thing yeah and it being kind of related to school and academia Mm. it should be something that we should be able to you know you can sit in your bed and write your diary entry you can sit in your favorite coffee shop and write it you're not sitting in silence in a library Mm. or you know sat there listening to your concentration music you know if that's what works for you then fantastic but it should be something that's adaptable and suits exactly how you want it to work Mm. I've like this year I've really got into uh like board games and the, the kind of the social side of of those and I remember I think it was in the summer got introduced to this game where you have like a set number of cards and you have to use the cards to sort of build up a story but you have to sort of um read out you have to sort of speak your story and you have to hit some key phrases or words to lay down your cards um but the idea of just kind of being sat in a circle and talking and saying a story I found really difficult um and I was like, but we're playing a game, which we're all playing. It's a stupid game. You're going to have to do stupid things. But equally, none of it's too ridiculous. But just that idea of using sort of words and it felt very strange. And again, I think it's that idea that there's so much around um, words, essentially, um, that we, we don't kind of utilise in that leisure or fun way. And it's just it's seen so much as a... They said an academic or a workplace sort of skill or tool. Um, 
and it's yeah it's often bypassed which is a real shame because there's so much more that we could be doing um with words yeah de definitely and people read for leisure don't they and mm. that's I mean lots of people don't and they still link it to school and like the academia and having to read when they're younger but lots of people do read for pleasure so why can't writing be seen in the same way mm -hmm. I think so I think it's um maybe sometimes people are a little bit afraid of saying um something out of place and it sort of prevents them from being more open um which I think is a real shame because we do have people and I think particularly this year we have had people um like uh like Trump like um a certain morning tv presenter um <laughs> like they're more than happy to throw words around and phrases about and get um uh, conversations driven around them and I think what a shame it is that the essentially idiots, are more happy with just talking when actually there are some people that are going through maybe particular struggles or have some really amazing ideas and don't feel comfortable enough to kind of share those experiences or those thoughts. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, let's think, let's think. There's, um, there's also been some cool stuff I wanted to kind of pick up um, like across the country a little bit more this year um and one of those I think we get it out of the way early was around the stuff around like brexit um but i've got a positive spin on this which i think um so i think there's been like lots of negativity around certain um kind of points of view and mm -hmm. um so i i think i feel like i've seen it through through like the Brexit vote, through um, stuff with conservatives and the stuff with Trump. Um, and I think often we maybe shame some people for having a certain viewpoint rather than engaging them in a conversation. And I look back and think about the times when I've spoken to friends about um, elections and things like that and how, how much people are reluctant to tell you about how they voted or what's important to them. Um, and again, I think it comes back into that idea almost of like it's shame and just because people think differently to us, it doesn't, I don't think it means that that's wrong. Um, it's just that there's a different value system. Uh, and I think that's a real shame. But one of the positives I have definitely seen, I think that's maybe come out of that in the last year, um, was uh, the England football team in the World Cup and seeing like a whole country kind of really come together and that being the biggest thing I particularly noticed, I think this year, the World Cup and the Royal Wedding um, mm. felt like two really big things that everyone got behind. And it didn't matter which way you voted or what you thought about certain things. Everyone really seemed to really kind of put in and be happy to be positive about being English or British um, during those two occasions. Um, but I wasn't sure if you had particular views on those two things or if you think there's something else in the year that's really stood out in terms of actually bringing people together? Um, I think for me, I think it was obviously being from, obviously not being from England, um, it's a little different uh, for the English football team, but even over here, you could see how proud England were because you often see it with uh, Andy Murray, and obviously he's Scottish, mm. but you see that 
you know, everyone gets behind him. But then as soon as he does something wrong, then everyone's like, oh, no, he's Scottish. He doesn't belong to us. <laughs> um, but I think it was really nice to see that um, England did come together for the football and for the Royal Wedding because mm. the Royal Wedding is a big thing. Like, I love the Royals. Um, I know some people don't, and that's absolutely fine. But mm. I like them. I think they're, I think they're quite cute. Um, but I think in terms of Brexit, I think it's it's a very complex situation. Mm. Something that I don't know a lot about. But the issue I had with it was that there were certain lies being told on mm. a on one side of the campaign, mm. and then when people started questioning it, they weren't willing to answer the question. Um, but I think. It's hard to it's hard to say a positive about it from my point of view because we up until maybe a few weeks ago we didn't actually know what was going to happen mm. and I think that's what a lot of people find hard to get behind you know people kept saying you know you just need to get behind it like we're leaving you know that's it mm. but how can people be so confident when we don't know what's going to happen um so that's a big issue that I had mm. um but I think I think those two things so the football and the royal wedding would be two of my um biggest points yeah. um but i can't really not the minute i can't really think of anything else but if i do i'll i'll chime in that's good though because that means my my little bit of planning before we started worked <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. molly what do you think yeah, no, well, so I'm not a football fan, but I became the world's biggest football fan during the, the World Cup run. And I think you're exactly right in everything you've said. It brought us all together and there was people watching it on the there were big screens up all over the country and people were coming together and watching it. Um, I unfortunately saw a bit of a negative side of it in mm. that I work within police custody and domestic violence goes up regardless of Eng if England win or lose. Mm. As long as they're playing, domestic violence goes up by like 200% or something. Oh, wow. I knew. I think I read. Yeah. Yeah. So I saw almost the negative side of it. I'd go and have a lovely time watching the football with some of my friends and then go into work the next day and mm. see the custody kind of full of people still sobering up, basically. And that's just because alcohol is involved. Mm. So put a bit of a downer on it there, haven't I? But um, it's just the other side of it. In that yeah. You see people really, really enjoying it and having a good time. And then it's almost taken too far. Mm. Um, but that's, the, again, slightly British culture, isn't it? Yeah, well, because I remember seeing, and I can't remember if this was in the World Cup or not, the thing about like, there were people jumping on... Was it like police cars or ambulances? Yeah, was in it? ambulances, yeah. yeah. Was that this year? Yeah, that was yeah. yeah. We had some quite locally to where I live as well, and because I work alongside the police, you know, there were loads of police officers who were saying, you know, this car has been wiped out or they got assaulted themselves, mm. and it just feels like it was such an amazing atmosphere, but it takes a couple of people to completely ruin it. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was so so bad because, it, like you say, it brought us everyone together. We were proud to be English, proud mm. of the football and everything and Gareth Southgate was on the New Year's honours list so it's being recognised um, that it was such an amazing thing. Yeah and I think um, I guess to some extent there will always be the one or two um, and it's right that we I think it is right that we draw attention to some of that behaviour in terms of yeah. saying that that's this is not what we want to see and the impact of um, like you say, the impact of the damage to, like, especially like police cars and ambulances and, and vehicles like that, that is going to mean that there is less protection or 
um, it's going to be a longer wait to get support to somebody else. Um, and while we do want to kind of, I guess, focus on the positives and go, yes, like 90% or 95% or whatever of people were happy and jolly and enjoying it, um, you do need to draw attention to those other cases um, to to help kind of eradicate that more and more. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, like you say, it's it's good to bring the cheer and bring everyone together. But there mm. are a lot of people who don't enjoy those types those times mm. um so raising awareness is definitely what we need to do yeah yeah i think um loosely very loosely to be fair um <laughs> along that line i also i really liked this year um the uh the black panther movie um having a film whether you like sort of the, the comic book superhero stuff or not that was predominantly um black actors um just was like for me it was amazing in terms of I don't think that's not that I would have consciously thought that but I don't think that's ever something I would have thought I would see in terms of like a mainstream um, Mm. American film that you had I think there were two two white actors and that was pretty much it um and like one of those is Andy Circus that always plays an animal. <laughs> um, so not really. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just found that amazing in terms of, uh, I guess, increasing um, the diversity that we see in kind of our, our mainstream media, the frequency that it's um, a white male. Um, I just, is really noticeable. I went to... Uh, I went to a theatre performance, I think around the summertime, and um, oh, it so brought it home for me. I sat down, I watched it, um, and kind of came away, and I'd, I'd gone to see it with my girlfriend, and we came out and was like, that was amazing, like it was so diverse, there were people of different ages, like from teenagers up to like 80s, um, people of different body shapes and sizes, um, part of the performance included stuff around um, people with mental health issues, someone that was transgender. Um, I came away, I was like, just it was amazing. It was so diverse. Um, In the five to ten minutes it took me to walk to the car after we'd left, literally got into the car and was like, oh, they're all white people though, weren't they? (laughs) (laughs) Um, None of them had like a a visual disability. I was like, you know when you think you've been really diverse and you're like, actually no, it wasn't. It was diverse in terms of what I usually get maybe, but... It was still so narrow-minded, and I was still there thinking now, like, yeah, pat myself on the back. That was awesome, guys. <laughs> Do you feel that this year, maybe not a huge amount has changed, but we've become more aware and more, um, we desire that change to happen more? Yeah, I think so, definitely. Because along, if you're looking at the films as well, there was um, Crazy Rich Asians came out the second half of this year, I think, in August, mm. I think it was. And that was the first all-Asian cast in a film. And they won loads of awards and recognised, you know, recognition yeah. of that. And I think, I think there is a bit of a change. I think we're on the move. Um, and I think, like you say, people are craving it. People are recognising the differences. Um, mm. There was a book, and I'm not going to remember the name of the author, but it's called Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. Okay. 
um, which is quite a famous book, and it's um, it all stemmed from a blog post. Um, I think her name's Rennie, but I'm not entirely sure um, the person who wrote it. But it was basically about how um, she's grown up, and she says, you know, I'm not talking to white people about race anymore because they're whitewashed. They don't understand. You know, you go and see a film with an all-white cast, and that's normal. Mm. You see a film with an all-black cast or an all-Asian cast, and that shocks you. It shouldn't mm. be that way. Mm. And it is. Like, it is very much that way. Crazy Rich Asians was the first film with an all Asians cast and it won rec- awards in recognition of the fact that they'd done that. Mm. We don't win awards in the fact that we have an all white cast. Yeah. So why, like, why is it still happening? You know, it's 2018, but we're still shocked when there is diversity and it just feels so wrong. But I think people are much more aware of it. And I think small steps have been taken where now leaps and bounds can be taken. Mm. Yeah. yeah. What do you reckon, Vicky? Yeah, I would tend I would tend to agree with that. I think a lot of people um, like to. I, I've actually heard of that book. I haven't read it, um, but I would love to read it. But I think a lot of people tend to focus on the negative side of that. Um, so have maybe an all you know maybe an all different race cast rather than um, what they're normally used to. But I think it's. It, it, de- it definitely is changing because you, you can you can feel that but I think we still have a bit of way to go um but it definitely is changing I I I think you're right I think it's that not always being aware as well of certain things um and for me like I definitely got that from the, the going to the theatre uh that particular theatre performance um I've also had it where um I've I've got a friend that is gay and a couple of times we've kind of, um, well, I think twice now, we've been out and we've gone to what is a gay bar. Um, and I have gone in and felt a little bit strange um, because you kind of identify as being one of the, the heterosexual people that are in the bar. And you're like, um, it's really interesting that you feel that way. And it's like how often, especially for myself as a white, straight male, how often I don't feel like that and I don't recognize mm-hmm. that and it is strange for me and um I spoke to my friend like a couple of days later after I think it was the second time of being in and I said but this is how I felt about being in and I said it's I kind of came home to me and I said do you ever because I said I feel like you acted slightly differently when we were in that bar um and I said do you feel like when we go out and we go to what I would consider just a normal bar do you feel like that's just a straight bar? Um, and he said, yeah. He said, I do feel like when we go out and we're in what you're calling a normal bar, um, he said, yeah, I do feel like I have to kind of like monitor myself and I feel like I have to worry sometimes about how I'll be perceived and predominantly it is straight people in that bar. Um, mm-hmm. And again, it's that mindset of like, I would never think that. I would think it's a bar, like anyone can go there. It wouldn't matter if you're black or white or gay or straight or whatever um but that's because i'm on the side of the privileged side so i don't see the struggle and i don't see the danger potentially that's there um how did you feel when he said that i um i felt probably a little bit sad um and a bit disappointed i think i i felt sad that um, he's had that experience and feels that way. Um, but I felt disappointed that we hadn't had that conversation earlier. Um, mm-hmm. Because we are, 
we're early 30s now um, and we probably had this conversation, I don't know, a couple of years ago. And mm-hmm. um, I think, why why didn't we have that conversation, I don't know, 10 years ago? Um, where, it, it, yeah, once he'd kind of come out, um, why didn't we have a conversation about like, how we felt in certain... I don't know if that's a, whether we should have, but yeah, just being able to be honest and be open about it. Um, yeah. And maybe it was prompted because I sort of said, well, this is a new experience for me coming into a gay bar. This is how I felt. And I was happy to say that. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe he felt having been in a bar or in the bars that we've been in before um, and then being comfortable enough to come out that there was already like a, I don't know, some sort of standard thing in place. I'm not sure. Um, mm-hmm. But again, I think it's that idea of if we can start conversation, my mind is a very simplistic one. If we can start <laughs> conversations and feel happy to talk about being happy or sad or worried about whatever, um, and a little bit about maybe why we feel like that or how it could help us change, um, that when we do come up against stuff that's a little bit different, maybe not straight away or the first time, but we do feel comfortable to say to someone, actually, I feel a little bit like this when I'm in this setting or this place and... Um, you can talk about it before that sort of escalates into a thing. Because um, he doesn't, he doesn't have a problem going into a, what I would call a normal bar. Because I don't know what else to call it. Um, but he obviously has a preference for and feels more comfortable in a gay bar. And I just think I feel like that's a shame um, because I think he should be comfortable anywhere. Um, okay. But oh uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think? I think that it's totally understandable why he felt uncomfortable, but it's also understandable why you felt uncomfortable. Hmm. But I'm more interested to know what are you doing to um, change that? Are you going to more gay bars with him? Or are you having, obviously you've, you've kind of had this conversation, yeah, yeah, yeah. but what are you doing to kind of change those that mindset, I suppose? Well, I think, if I'm completely honest, we don't go out as much now. Right. Um, I think, um, yeah, I find it a lot more relaxed now. Um, Like, he has, um, yeah, I think it's a a lot more relaxed in terms of we don't go out, so we're happy to talk about whatever. And, like, when I go around and he's like, oh, how's your girlfriend? And I'll ask if he's seeing anyone or whatever. And it's a normal conversation. It's not kind of oh, we can talk about me, but we can't talk about you. Um, yeah. And I think that's really nice. It's kind of normalised. Um, if it, it didn't need normalising, but it's normalised for us, the conversation okay. around relationships and sex and stuff. Um, but yeah, we don't. Um, we just don't go out as much anymore. So it doesn't really come up. Um, however, there have been times when um, he's gone along to... Um, certain events and we've spoken about them and I've um, gone to um, a couple of the local prides over the last couple of years so we sit down and we have a chat about that as well because he's often not able to go because of work so it's nice like I think we've built up that rapport um, and that kind of understanding and I guess we've just not necessarily had um, the stuff around the settings as much Um, Mm -hmm. but it definitely kind of opens your eyes a little bit I think when you talk to someone that is in in any way um 
affected by something like I struggle sometimes around stuff that relates to sort of mental health um, I know mm-hmm. people that struggle around um, like physical um, symptoms of illnesses and things like that as well so anyone that has something that's very slightly different I think being happy or feeling comfortable to talk to someone about that is obviously going to be useful for you but it also opens up their eyes and makes them a bit more aware of what's going on outside of their bubble yeah but I think there there is something to be said about talking about that but it can be I think in any situation if you feel uncomfortable but it's almost like you don't want to be judged Mm. because everyone else is thinking oh why you know you should feel comfortable here whereas that's it's not the case like you you don't have to be comfortable in every situation but it's almost like your head is telling you no I should be comfortable here why am I not comfortable here Mm. and start asking yourself like a million questions so it is nice that you were kind of finally able to sit down and talk to him and say you know I felt like this you know is this the way that you feel as well so Mm. I think that I think that is quite nice but I think I think judgment especially is something that we all struggle with like one way or the other and it seems like that kind of happened it happened Mm. with you as well Mm. yeah I think it's um it's one of those times that you I don't know I guess I feel like in the last year maybe well in the last couple of years I feel really fortunate in that by speaking openly a little bit more about my experience with mental health, other people have felt more comfortable to talk mm-hmm. about stuff that's quite personal that they might be struggling with, whether that's mental health or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I think that feels like I've, I don't know, like you've unlocked another level to um, like your friendship and your communication yeah. with different people and that you're able to be a little bit more open. Um, I guess I wonder if in the last year or so, um, you guys feel that there's been certain things that have changed about your relationships or the way that you talk to people or anything? I, I mean, I can relate quite mm. quite well with your going into gay bars and feeling out of place. I did my undergraduate degree in Brighton, so I mm. lived in Brighton for three years, um, and most of my friends are gay, so I was always in the minority of a group in the sense that my friends wanted to go to the gay bar, so I obviously always went along. Mm. So this was... Um, 2012 to 2015 so still quite a few years ago Mm. but I felt from there I if anything felt progressive in myself which is such an awful thing to say Mm. because why why did I feel progressive but people didn't do that my friends from home weren't going to gay bars at the university towns they were in Mm. so I felt in the sense of kind of sexuality I felt very proud of myself which is such a ridiculous thing to say because why was it ever at that stage but in comparison to other people that's how I felt Mm. um but I think in the last year I've become a lot more aware of um gender identity Mm. um I think that's something that was in the media a fair amount um last year and this year and I think in my personal life I had a couple of friends who are transitioning or I know people who know people who are transitioning and it's kind of educating yourself around gender identity versus sexuality being very different things I was about to say problems but it's not problem just very different situations and feelings um and I think for me um I've become a lot more aware about people who might have difficulties with their um gender identity and transitioning and wanting to live their life slightly differently as to how they were assigned at birth and I Mm. think the media has helped a little bit with that 
um, Caitlyn Jenner going through the transition quite publicly um, will have done actually probably done wonders for the community, whether they like it or not. I don't I don't know how they view um, Caitlyn Jenner as a role model or not, but she did it so publicly that I think that would have, you know, raised awareness, if anything, Mm. which is half the battle. So I'd say for me, I've kind of been trying to educate myself more on yeah gender identity and transitioning and that side of things yeah I think I've um similar kind of situation I know a few people I um know one or two people that I worked with uh I don't know probably a lot of years ago now um that have transitioned gender um and I do um I find it interesting when people are adverse to kind of the conversation or even just like the idea that people might want to or identify as a different gender to the the one that they were born with um because I just when people are adverse I don't understand how they are affected by that um like if I wanted or chose or felt the need to identify as female I don't see how that impacts on somebody else and why they should um, react negatively to that because the kind of the most uh, um, conversations that people end up drawn to are things like or the conversations I've been in end up getting drawn to things like changing rooms and toilets and I think if, yeah. you, if you actually listen to the practical arguments, all that's happening is the facilities are being improved. <laughs> like, yeah. I just, I'm like, okay, yeah, that maybe that we need investment to change this from like male and female toilets to like co-gendered or how they're laid out. But let's all agree that just practically the toilets that we are going to have at the end of this are much better than what we have now. So why does it bother you? whether like it's because of this reason or that reason and I just oh I think I've been into um schools where they now have the um like it's a toilet corridor and then you go into like individual toilet cubicles where there's like the toilet the like uh wash basin and a uh, bin and whatever and it's all in an individual toilet thing room um and I just think, like, if you can do that in schools, gradually, I think that will, will be rolled out to more and more places where um, they're new builds. Um, and it just means that you get more use out of toilets. So on certain times of day or at certain events, you're always going to have, oh, there's more men here or there's more females here. And if the yeah. toilets are co-gendered, then that doesn't matter Um and you can just, it's a toilet. Does it really matter? Like, yeah. we're all going to do the same stuff in it. Um, and I think it's it's that idea of actually, yeah, if you want to be really practical about it, let's be practical. It's best use. So what's the problem? Mm, I think one of the biggest issues is that it's still a very new conversation. Mm. Like, we haven't talked about it a lot. It's only really started to... I suppose blow up in the past few years for, of the likes of Caitlyn Jenner, for example. Mm. Obviously, it's been happening, you know, for far longer than um, before Caitlyn. But because it is so new, people are scared to talk about it. People don't know what to say, and I think we're so scared of saying the wrong thing. I mean, I know that I say the wrong thing sometimes, and that everybody does. But I think it's 
you know, people can be very defensive when they don't understand something. And I think that is a large part of it. You know, for somebody being so defensive on asking, you know, why do we, why do we need this? You know, mm. what, why, why do we? It's a defense mechanism. Yeah. It's just being defensive because they don't understand. And if you don't understand, it's totally fine. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. Mm. It just means that we need to get more education and awareness out there of what it actually all means. Because, you know, when we have the, um, like the gender specific thing and then all the terms, like it's a lot. Mm. Um, so I think as, as long as we kind of get that education out there, then I think once we do that, then people will be a lot more comfortable with it. Um, I think for the younger generation, it's a lot easier, I would say generally. Yeah. Um, but I would say for the older generation, it's something that is going to take a little bit longer to understand. Um, but we just need to keep talking about it and making sure that everyone feels comfortable because no one wants to say the wrong thing. But, mm. you know, we're not perfect. We're definitely not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. It's um, it's interesting you say that over the last year. And I think the the general awareness because I feel like oh yeah general awareness wise I think that's been there for a number of years but mm-hmm. actually has it progressed anywhere I'm not sure that it's progressed a huge amount like I know that there are uh, I think it's 26 different gender categories but is there really 26 there's 26 I didn't know but that. I don't know what they are um right. so I'm like well how is that really progressive to know there's 26 if you don't know what they are, like, does it matter? Mm. Like, it's like saying there's, oh damn it, um, I can't remember how many <laughs> how many letters are in the alphabet. It's like <laughs> it's like saying there's twenty six or thirty two or however many letters are in the alphabet, but not knowing what they are. Like, so yeah, that bit of knowledge is pretty useless. Um, and I think yeah, it is trying to drive that home in the the i think this year i heard i can't think what it's called where you get like name shamed or something where they use your um like the name of your previous gender um and i saw that happening um in a couple of situations and i've seen it obviously happen with um people that are kind of well known as well and i think again is that that side of is that happening because people aren't educated enough in terms of knowing that, that isn't a nice thing to do um, or are they being aggressive and actually going no I refuse to accept that you are now this person and that you used to be this person um, I'm not sure um, I really liked and again I don't think it was this year actually there's a, um, uh, a Louis Theroux documentary where he looks at uh, young people that want to uh, transition gender and I think they're they're really young. They're sort of about 12-ish or something like that. Um, and the documentary is so interesting because it goes into the idea of like at an early age, is this the right time for people to identify and know that they want to change gender and um, mm-hmm. the, the, like the negative effect of someone transitioning and then deciding at a later stage, oh, maybe it was just a phase or whatever. Um, yeah. And they show you a couple of kids that change from day to day, that are male one day and female another day. But then they show you um, Louis talking to um, a couple of people that have transition gender, um, but they're sort of, I don't know, like 30, 40, 50. And um, they talk about the struggle of transitioning as a teenager or someone in their 20s and the struggle that they go through 
um, and actually how much better off they would have been if they could have transitioned when they were younger and they said like no we we did know um and it's a yeah it's a really good look at um like an introduction to um the different ways i guess that transgender um people can be perceived um and how there are such very different um situations that people go into um, well, that situation of considering transitioning gender and how it affects the people around them as well, like the parents going, like, I love my child and I want to support them, whatever they want to be, I want to support them with that, to having another family of being like, I feel like my daughter is now going to be my son and I'm basically my daughter is dying. Um, and it, it really starts to open up those conversations. I think, oh, wouldn't it be not, like, this is the conversation that we should all be having and we should all be thinking about and... Um, well, it's just being picked up now to be sort of um, entertainment uh, and catchy mm-hmm. because it's a perceived taboo subject. Um, and I guess that's where I see a lot of media coverage around mental health as well. I think too often it's around um, kind of being sensationalised rather than actually informing people. Mm-hmm. Well, it's criminalised as well, isn't it? You see words that are used in newspaper headlines, mm. um, specifically around some of like the terrorist attacks or some of the horrible attacks that we've had this year. Words like crazy or mad or mm. loner mm. are used to these people that have done awful things. Mm. And I'm not sure that they need to, well, they don't need to use these words alongside these terrible headlines mm. because it's just, criminalising mental health and demonising it almost. I agree. I don't, what do you think, Vicky? I I agree as well. I think that's totally correct because, you know, if you call someone crazy and then I, I just don't understand what you're gaining from that because they're obviously not acting themselves if they're doing some of these horrific activities if you want to call them that and mm. um, so I don't understand using the words crazy or psycho or any of those words is doing obviously apart from you know getting the clicks in your headline or watching on the news th- those specific adjectives mm. aren't doing anything I think I I guess it depends on where I see or find them because I I am I get less fussed about them if it's in like a conversation um, because I'm like, oh, it's it's like slipping out, or it's someone that doesn't usually talk about this, and every so often, I still drop a crazy every so often, um, and it's trying to sort of re-educate yourself around language, but I struggle, like you say, when you see it in media, and you're like, this is um, someone's profession, this is something that someone is qualified, that they've trained in, that... Um, this is something that they're an expert in. They are an expert writer or reporter or researcher or whatever. Um, and this is the language that they choose to use. That's, I think that's why I, I feel more um, passionate about the stuff that we're showing in the media. Because I think <coughs> mate, you are the people that are meant to be the experts. You're the people that are showing us the language that we should be using. You're the people that are meant to be telling us the truth um, and reporting on what's there. And so often I think I'm either told anecdotal stuff 
that I could get from just talking to someone that lives in the same road as me or goes to the same supermarket. Or I'm told stuff for um, a purpose to frame my view rather than actually what's happened. Um, and I think, like you say, it's it's mental health illnesses or symptoms are often used as a way to, um, yeah, alienate, to um, also cause worry or distress. And it's like you wonder why people don't come forward or talk about certain things. Yeah. It's like, well... Well, this is the way that you describe and you depict mental health and mental health illnesses. Why would someone come forward and seek help? Because they're going to think that they're going to be treated in the way that you're treating a criminal. Um, and I think, oh, yeah, they're more than happy to jump on a bandwagon when there's a particular campaign or whatever going on. And that is, yeah, that helps in terms of spreading the message. But two weeks later, um, they're back on using phrases like commit suicide and, um, like you say, crazy terrorist or something. And you're like, come on, like, where is the consistency in um, you backing this um, positive, proactive movement around mental health? I couldn't agree more because I used to work in community TV for about three and a half years and we used to have to be so careful about what we said. And we obviously every right, every right to because you don't want to... You want to bring across something that is true and you don't want to be clickbait, basically. Mm. Um, but there were so many occasions, not just not just on like a health, mental health basis, but I'll give you an example. So I was doing a, a news story on autism and one of the mothers was coming in and I'd obviously done my research and I even researched um, what term to say. Mm. Um, so I decided to go with um, person with autism. Mm-hmm. instead of autistic person because yeah. apparently uh, pe- people do, people do prefer the first one so then I had obviously done my questions done the research and then she had came in and I said you know is this okay and she said to me oh actually we prefer if you used autistic person mm-hmm. and I said can I ask you why because in my research it said that they it's it, yeah uh, do you know what I mean it's yeah the preferences of, for the other way yeah yeah and she says oh well you know they you know they are that person rather than having that and I thought okay that's that's a different approach um but I I understood it completely because she was she was in that position and I wasn't but I think you know when I you know I do watch the kind of morning tv and I watch it online and you know through twitter through instagram Mm. stuff like that and I think it's a real shame that people just do jump on the bandwagon and hit those clickbait because that is something that when I was in my previous job, I'm no longer in it. But it was something that I would never, ever do because it's just such a horrible thing because you want people to watch because you're bringing them factual things yeah. that are um, that are obviously useful to the viewer, but also useful to you for your further research later on. Mm. And in doing that, you're not in doing those kind of clickbait and making things out to be more than they are isn't helping anybody and it could make the situation worse so it it really pains me when I see you know people being called crazy or people you know not saying the right terms Mm. when they have more research behind them Um, people that are being paid a lot of money to research that and kind of say right this is what you say this is what you don't say but yet they still get it wrong Mm. and nothing Nothing really happens to the people that do that wrong. Hmm. You get a couple of complaints and that's it, really. Yeah, yeah. What do you think, Molly? 
Yeah, and I, I completely agree. And I think for me, the problem comes with the intention behind it, because mm. like you say, we're, way back, we're, we're all we're all human and we, we use words. I use crazy, bonkers, mad is to describe other things, but I'd mm. never use it to describe some I don't know it's difficult to put it into words isn't it but basically it's the intention behind it because what you don't do is put people off wanting to talk about these topics because they're worried about saying these trigger words that are going to upset people Mm. and I think as long as you're open and you say like you did Victoria you did your research but you were very happy to change the way you worded things because someone asked you to if you say a word to someone and they say I'd really rather you didn't use that word as long as you then you know it's the way you handle that situation and you can say so sorry didn't understand or Mm -hmm. I can yeah won't say it again Mm. I attended um I put a tweet up actually a couple of weeks ago I attended a zero suicide conference um with my work and the next day about 100 meters from my office um someone jumped off a building and died by suicide I tweeted the phrase committed suicide and people kind of tweeted back to say, you know, please, can you use died by suicide as um, that's the phrase that's preferred nowadays. Mm. And as a mental health professional, that is not something mental health professionals still say committed suicide. That's what we and rightly or wrongly, it's just what we do. We write it in our notes. That's the, the phrase that we use. And it's about educating people. So now I make an extra conscious effort to not say committed suicide, but to say died by suicide, because that's what's preferred. And mm-hmm. I think as long as they're open and willing to learn and change the way we talk and the phrases we use, then mm-hmm. perfect. But that has to start with the media, because that's the biggest reach to people. You know, we can do it as a community on Twitter and we can bring it into our personal lives and out to everyone we speak to but the media are the shining light at the top of it all that if they started it Mm. it would happen so much quicker and people would understand the phrases that are preferred to be used but they don't and they use it so negatively which makes it a harder job for everyone else Mm -hmm. it just yeah like you say it takes longer for the message i guess to spread and to get out there and i think Mm. um yeah, with the with the commit suicide, I think the the um, like the reasoning behind that for some people as well is the idea of the commit comes from the fact that it used to be obviously a criminal offence. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think also for some people potentially, um, the idea of like the religious side of it being kind of against God to take your own life as well. So um, that that I think is part of the side of people being really proactive in terms of trying to prevent um, that as a phrase being used, not just because it's a, an older term that people aren't as happy with, um, but also because in terms of language, it's, it's technically incorrect because it, you, can't, you can't commit suicide because it isn't a crime now. Yeah. Um, but I do think you're right in terms of gauging your audience and your purpose for for what's happening. So I remember back on, um, uh, it was World Mental Health Day, um, I was given a talk in a workplace and that morning, um, the chap off of that morning programme that says all the stuff, um, he'd spoken <laughs> about um, it shouldn't be called mental health, it should be called mental strength. Now, um, I really don't like that because it, for me personally, it implies that if you have an illness, you have a mental weakness. Um, but I went into this workplace and they were talking about this and um, 
they were kind of really positive about the idea of sort of saying mental strength and it made them feel quite tough and strong and it was very um sort of male masculine driven uh, workplace um and they were engaged in conversations not just about mental health but people that had had um, thoughts about suicide and self-harm and for me it was one of those situations where you go look do you know what the purpose of me being here the thing that I want to get from our conversation is that we're talking about what I call mental health if they're using a term that it's not really the one that I would want to use does it really matter to me um and it's kind of evaluating that evaluating that idea of your purpose like my idea or my ideal was that we felt more comfortable we had some more skills we were able to talk about mental health and we were doing that and the phrasing I think is something that you can pick up someone else um the first thing is to get people talking uh Mm -hmm. and I do think sometimes we have to like you I think you've both said sort of over the last hour or so it's yes maybe there's like best practice in terms of some of the stuff we say but that comes over time and the first thing is creating that environment where people are happy to talk about mental health or their sexuality or their gender identity or I don't know something that they do to keep themselves well um and yeah we will we're going to work on the language we're going to improve that but let's just get more conversations happening yeah exactly we'll get there eventually we'll be perfect one day <laughs> that, that sounds a bit ambitious <laughs> you want to shoot high yeah. <laughs> um how was um how was the zero suicide uh event oh it was so so eye-opening so we're a we're not a mental health trust we're a just a general NHS trust but obviously a large mental health side so it was basically the aim that we will strive for zero suicides which they begin by saying but you know you know zero suicides got to aim high um but how many are we happy with um if you're saying oh we'll aim for five suicides that's basically saying oh I'm just happy for five Mm. um so it was really really interesting and it had some lived experience it had um it was literally amazing. It was so eye-opening and I left feeling quite, I don't know, like humbled almost because I felt even as a mental health professional learning about psychology and working within mental health for so long now, we'll say so long, still very early in my career, but quite a few years, mm. still felt that I learned a lot. And I mean, there's nothing like lived experience to hit home, is there? Yeah, I, um, I remember watching... Uh, oh, I, can't, I can't remember if it was BBC or Channel 5 that did uh, like a documentary on um, suicide and I've also seen um, a couple of people talk about this um, the idea of zero suicide and the zero suicide alliance stuff and um, I know that in Hampshire where I live we have um, I don't know exactly what it's called I think it's like a suicide prevention strategy so in Hampshire, our aim is to reduce the number of suicides by 10%. Um, and um, I think it's interesting that the, the approach, because when you hear people talk about zero suicide, um, as I'm sure you kind of got from that talk, like it is really, they go, yeah, okay, look, this is ambitious. This is maybe a target that we're not about to hit, but this is what we want to work towards. And like you say, if you're saying... Um, like so for us I think there were um, when this plan was made I think there were 273 suicides um, over a two-year period 
And so if you're reducing that by 10%, you're still saying that you're happy with over mm. 200 people um, taking their own lives um, in a two-year period. And I just think, no, you're like that is wrong. That shouldn't be something that you're happy with. Um, and the, um, the guy that I've seen speak for the Zero Suicide Alliance spoke actually about his personal experience and how they were from quite a privileged background and they did have access mm. to all of this support and um, the kind of the waiting list side wasn't necessarily a problem for them um, or wouldn't have been, but yet they were still in a situation where a member of their family took their own life. Um, and it was a really empowering thing in terms of, we all know that there are long waiting lists and people struggle to access service, but hearing someone basically say, look, yeah, that's a problem, but that wasn't a problem for us but we still were affected by this um, was a really powerful message, I think, to say, no, look, it's not all about the services. It's about us talking. It's about getting people to feel comfortable to come forward. Um, and I think sometimes, yeah, you do need those big campaigns to sort of push those messages home and say, look, no, that's that's not okay. That's not what you should be settling for. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I think the... The conversation around suicide, I think, has definitely opened up a lot more this year. Definitely, yeah. I don't know. Um, what do you think about? Um, no, that sounds like a weird comment. What do you think about suicide, <laughs> Victoria? <laughs> yeah, maybe not the best wording for that. Um, it's, it's very. It's obviously very complicated because I don't know a lot about it, but. Um, I know for us in Northern Ireland, there was, um, I'm actually trying to find the article now. Um, last year, it was reported that Northern Ireland, out of the rest of the UK, had the highest rate of suicide, oh, wow. um, but the mental health funding was 25% less. And that got a lot of people angry here. Mm. Um, and rightly so, of course. Mm. Um, but I think having never been in that situation, and thankfully I've never, I've never lost anyone very very thankfully because of that um mm. but there is a lot more to be done and obviously the media have a part to play in it and you know we not the media don't have a part to play in it, that's not what i mean but they have uh they have to do more to kind of make the awareness better um if that makes sense like we are a very aware of suicide but i think it's it's more in how we deal with it um because i can't imagine what it would be like for a family to deal with it um and I think it's all about just being there for people but I think you know in terms of waiting lists obviously I've no experience in that so I can't really talk about it um but I have heard that you know it is hard to get you know an appointment and it's hard to talk to someone you know because you can't get through to special agencies because the NHS are so jam-packed um mm. and because of everything else as well it's it's not surprising um so I don't really know what I could add to what you've both said but I I definitely I definitely agree with both you and I think there there's still a hell of a lot to be done um and it needs to happen as soon as mm. agreed um I've just looked at the time and we're like cracking through the time um <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I'm going to try and pick just a couple of things um, to talk about and round us off. Um, okay. So I think it'd be really nice if there's um, maybe like one particular thing that has um, been like a really 
um, not necessarily important, but something that's meant a lot to you this year, um, and maybe something that you think would be or has been really useful for you in terms of like your general well-being and maybe something that other people could do as well um let's go with uh yeah let's go with the like the event or the activity or something that's been really a positive experience for you first um i don't know who wants to go first on that one I don't mind going first. Um, I so for me the big thing this year has been finishing off my masters, and mm. I studied. I did that part time while working full time, so wow. I've had two years of incredible amount of stress because mm. um, I've been working full time job within mental health and then trying to complete a masters. And I think for me, I handed in my dissertation in September. And I went on holiday. Um, I literally handed it in on the Monday and I went away for a long weekend, the Thursday through to the Sunday to Barcelona. And literally as a way of de-stressing and winding down after possibly the most stressful two years of my life, um, in which I hadn't gone away on holiday in those two years because all my annual leave was used up for essays and exams and placement. Um, I was paying out a fortune for my fees as well as trying to pay to live. So going away for that long weekend with my best friend was just for me the best thing for in levels of stress and my well-being because I just needed to get away from my house and my room where I'd sat writing for hours and just looking at books like literally everything was making me feel stressed um about studying and it was just having that time to do nothing and it seems a bit extreme leaving the country but <laughs> it was honestly the only thing I genuinely think that helped me bring my stress levels back down that I was able to be okay at work mm. um, and looking forward to having that holiday booked knowing that I handed it on the Monday and I was flying a couple of days later kind of I think got me through that last couple of weeks like the really stressful push mm. and like I say I think that is a bit extreme leaving the country but when you know you've got a difficult time or a stressful time having something booked that you're looking forward to it can be as simple as like booking a movie night in with yeah. your friend um you don't have to spend any money you don't have to leave the house if you don't want to but it's having that thing to look forward to that gets you through that difficult time and I think mm. yeah especially when it's like stress related because then you think oh I can de-stress then it's fine I'll get there I'll get there um so yeah, for me that's my main thing, I think. Yeah. That's a good one though. I like that. And it's a big it's a big achievement. It's a big thing to celebrate. Um but recognizing that the toll that it's going to take on you as well and being happy to go actually, do you know what? I want to and I need to do something that's a little bit for me. Yeah. Um and it's often something I think we um so often talk about the self-care and things that people should be doing for themselves and often don't do them for our ourselves. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, that's a really cool one. I like that. Um, Vicky, what about you? This is going to sound like a really strange one, but I felt a little better after I got made redundant. Okay. Um, so I got made redundant at the end of June, but I was given six weeks kind of notice. Mm. Um, so halfway through that, I was kind of really struggling, but at the end of it, I thought, okay, like I've dealt with this, it's fine. So I woke up on the Monday morning, first day without a job, and I thought, what the hell am I going to do? Um, but I also felt like it was a huge weight off my shoulders because that job had brought me a lot of stress every day. It got to the point where, and I don't think it was necessarily work that was doing all of this, but 
I mean, I was walking to work almost in tears at the fact that I didn't want to go and that I was really unhappy. I constantly felt on edge. I constantly felt like I was doing something wrong, no matter what. Um, but I felt very thankful that I was out of that. But then came the new challenge uh, of choosing how to spend my time. And that's what I struggled with the most. Uh, it, it got to a point where either I was waiting on my boyfriend to get home because we don't live together, um, mm. but we live quite close together. Um, and I was waiting for him to get home from work. And that would be my thing of the day. I would have nothing else to do because I kind of struggled getting out of bed for a while. Mm. Um, and the, I would get I would get out of bed at four o'clock after sleeping all day and get ready and go and see him. And then he would say, right, we're going to go for a walk. You know, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And I said, no, I, no, I don't feel like it. And he'd be like, no, we're going to do it. Um, so those, I was without a job for about four months. Um, I did kind of put in applications and I put in, you know, I went for interviews and things like that. But I slowly see my confidence rise because at the start, I was very worried about how I was being perceived because I hadn't really done. I hadn't really done a proper job interview when I got that original job. It was through a training scheme. Okay. But for, the, but for this one, it was kind of, you know, I remember going into the first interview and there was two very professional women and they were asking me all about business and I had no idea. And I thought, oh God, what am I going to do? I'm never going to get a job. And then the second one had three people and you had to do a test to get through and then you had to do all these different things. And I thought, oh God, this is going to be a long road. But it did teach me that I had to be more confident because mm. if I wasn't going to get confidence, then I was never going to get a job. So that kind of enabled me to kind of spread my days out because I was worried that I had all this free time and I don't know if you guys ever get this but I get quite overwhelmed if I have a lot of stuff to do mm -hmm. so if I have like a big big list I if I have a lot of time I'm like oh god there's too much to do and then I just kind of curl in like a little turtle and I'm like mm -hmm. I can't do any of this so as much as not having a job <laughs> wasn't a very nice thing it gave me the time that I needed to realize what I actually want and while I might not be doing everything that I want at the minute. It gave me that headspace to realize that I didn't need to be in, you know, toxic environments and I didn't need to be around certain people. And it gave me a real headway into what I wanted to do mm. and how I should spend my time. I mean, I now volunteer for guides um, and that's something that I wanted to do for a few years, but I never felt like I was ready to do that um I also kind of make sure that I have time to myself and I make sure I plan things the right way but I don't push myself to do loads and loads and loads of stuff because that's what I used to do when I was in that job to make myself feel productive you know I constantly thought you know you know I'm not doing this why am I not doing this you know I'm, I have a free hour why am I not doing this this and this and that being off for such a long amount of time has kind of taught me that I can be unproductive. You know, I don't have to do everything in the world, mm -hmm. but I need to schedule. So now that I'm in a new job, I now appreciate that time off so much more because I can tell myself, okay, I can do this and this, but I can't get 70 other things done. So while losing my job wasn't the greatest experience in the world, and it definitely was probably one of the worst times for my mental health, I've came out the other side in hindsight. Mm -hmm. thinking okay it, it definitely wasn't a nice time I wouldn't want to relive it again but it has opened me up to realize that I can do it even those times where I lay in bed and thought I really can't do this anymore um so it has 
it it has made me accept that I can do more than what I'm what I think I'm capable of and I think I'm really really thankful for that this year that's a really cool one and I like the um, there's a couple of things that you mentioned that I really, yeah, I was like nodding my head away. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, it's that side of, um, I think you kind of touched on that I really struggle sometimes with, um, like when you get time at home and you've got nothing to do, um, like I'm not able to enjoy that a lot of the time. And I think the times yeah. that I do enjoy it, I'm not doing anything different to the times I'm not. And it's purely sort of my mindset in that situation. Um, and that's definitely, yeah, made me notice sometimes the um, doing those little things through the week or managing your tasks or trying to make short breaks and stuff means that yeah. actually when I've got an evening and I, I, I've got nothing to do, I can kind of actually enjoy it and relax rather than um, kind of worry about all the different things that I need to do and um just feel guilty about not doing anything or um I can definitely get into that mindset especially if I end up with like two or three evenings in a week where I'm not doing anything I'll I'll just do nothing in all of them and I think I've not enjoyed any of those where if I'd have maybe just I don't know worked on like right one day I'm just going to literally do these two tasks won't take me too long I'm just going to do these two forget the rest Mm of it um and yeah, managing managing time and tasks and expectations, I think, is quite a big one. And like you say, just also taking the confidence from um, going to those interviews and, and having power, having a bit of control and thinking about what you want to do. I'm yeah. I'm surprised. I think it's happening less now. Um, but I've got a few friends that have done the same job for like 10, 15 years. And... Um, they'll sort of moan about it and I'm like well if you don't like it just like look around see what else is out there um and it surprises me how many people I know that do have that mindset of like just this is where I work and that's it I'm like Mm -hmm. my mind is so not like that like I'm I think the longest I've worked anywhere like full time is like two and a half years Mm -hmm. um and so my yeah my mind is just totally different to that I'm like now, every so often, I was like, I'll, I'll have a look and see what sort of jobs are about. And um, yeah, it's just, it's, it is interesting the different way because I think they miss out on, like, you don't recognize how many skills and how much experience you've got if you're never looking around and you're always just thinking about yeah. where you are. Um, no, I think for me this year, um, I'd definitely say probably putting in a little bit more effort to go along to events and meetups and um, having a bit of a confidence boost in terms of going to events. Um, Not necessarily just on my own, but yeah, going along on my own, going along and not knowing people, um, being prepared to travel a little bit further away than my local area and um, get to meet some really interesting people and go along to different events. It's been really cool. Like this year, I went along to um, like two Comic Cons events. Um, uh, I went to um, Red, a Redhead Day um, in London. So it was all people with ginger hair. Um, <laughs> like that was really cool. And it's just yeah, a range of like different fun things that before I would have maybe thought, oh, that looks interesting, and then just not done anything about it. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that's been a bit more of a shift for me and something that I've really kind of valued. Um, and this year as well, um, I started a new relationship and that's been a really big thing for me because I struggle a lot uh, with relationships and that idea of like trusting someone and having someone else care for you. Um, mm-hmm. But a big thing for me was having a period of time last year where I was single. Um, and actually when I met um, Laura um, at the end of last year, it came at a time when I was quite happy on my own. Um, and I, I really value the fact that I had that time um, on my own some of it was happy some of it was not happy um mm. but having that time and going actually do you know what and I, like when we've spoken about it now I have said do you know what it's not I I really value the fact that um like I met her at a time when I could give or take a relationship I wasn't really that fast um and we dated for like six months before we were um together together and um I think for me that was a really big thing in terms of actually no like we're in a relationship because I want to be in a relationship with her not just because I want to be in a relationship um Mm -hmm. and it does it makes me sort of look back to some extent and go oh was there a time when did you want to be with that person or did you want a relationship and that was the best person that was around um and so yeah I've I've massively see the benefit of like people having a bit of time to them to themselves and um having a little bit of time to just kind of it sounds weird on hippie-ish like just find yourself um <laughs> I think is really important like my my mum's always been in a relationship like most of her life um and I do think like oh, I hope I hope it's just because she's met people and just like wants to be with them and not because she can't or doesn't feel able to be just on her own um and I know that's maybe different as you get older but um, yeah, I've definitely felt that as being a big thing for me this year. Uh, so I think we'll round off with um, something that's been useful for your well-being this year that you want to kind of keep up or you'd maybe recommend other people. Um, so for me, um, I'll give you a little bit of thinking time. Um, I think, uh, although I've, I haven't done this in the last couple of months as much, it's been photography um so I like I said earlier like running and walking and stuff is something that yeah it's dropped off and I want to get that back up and going but um going out and taking pictures has been something that uh at the start of this year and last year has definitely been like a positive thing for my well-being like it encourages me to go out and walk around and go to different places and the idea of just going out for a walk for like two hours is totally stupid in my head but if I'm like, oh, I'm going to go out and take a couple of pictures, um, that seems a lot more logical. It gives me like a task. I, I need like a task to do. Um, mm-hmm. And it also encourages me to go to different places. So I take different pictures. And yeah, probably 75% of them are crap. But there's a couple in there that I think are all right. Um, and it's, yeah, it's picking up those those different things that are, I think, useful for you to do. Um and again, being happy to share those with other people. Like I've definitely engaged in more conversations this year about kind of general well-being and what different people do um, to keep themselves well. And the amount of people 
that sort of say they walk their dogs and don't recognise it as like a well-being thing for them until you have a conversation is really interesting to me. They're like, oh no, it's for the dog. And I'm like, yeah, but do you enjoy it? And they're like, yeah, it's quite nice actually. I get you know, go out of the house, get some fresh air, time to think. Oh no, yeah, it's quite cool actually. And I think, <laughs> oh, because you've never thought about it in that way. Um, it is quite interesting just to have those conversations around it's I guess having a mental health conversation without involving like an illness side to it um, and just looking at the well-being I think is something that um, I've definitely done more of this year and I definitely recommend um, more people give that a go as well uh, mm-hmm. Molly for me I think it's um, I'm a big fan of walking as well so I definitely try and get out a couple times a week for a walk it also makes me feel less bad about not going to the gym if I've gone for a walk or two Um, but for me it's like social activities I'm always better when I'm around people Um, I notice it if I spend like a weekend and I don't see anyone Friday Saturday or Sunday I come to Sunday evening and I'm like almost dreading work because not only is it social interaction and I've not seen anyone but I'm not feeling my best self whereas if I meet a friend for a walk or I go and ha- like for a movie evening or a coffee or shopping or something, it's just making sure I've got that, those connection with my friends and maintaining kind of that social interaction um, always makes me feel better, makes me feel less stressed. And I think it's just making time for that. Um, I'm all for me time and like sitting in my room and not seeing anyone and shutting the door. Um, but I also recognise that while that time's good, it's also important that I see other people, um, definitely. Ace. Yeah, I think, um, does that have to be like the kind of the physical side of going to see people or just generally socialising? Like, so it could be, I don't know, talking on the phone or texting someone or do you mean like really in person? Yeah, no, I'm much more an in-person thing. Yeah. Like I'm in contact with lots, you know, social media and mm. etc. with my friends quite regularly anyway, but like actually physically seeing someone and spending time with them. I'm not very good by myself all the time. It's <laughs> what I've learned this year. It's again, it's like um I think when Victoria was talking about time at home earlier, um, like I'm the same with people. Like I yeah, I need or I, I enjoy that time with people, but I also need my own time. But if I have mm, too yeah. much of my own time, like you say, if you had a Friday, Saturday, Sunday I'd, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of half craving interaction and then half not because you've almost gone into that sort of stale state and you become, yeah. I do, I become a bit recluse and I'm like, oh, um, oh, I don't know that I, I don't really want to go outside. And it's just, yeah, it's, I think that's the depressive side of me. Um, it very quickly can sort of switch on. So, yeah, I think that's... Um, a really important one in terms of keeping up uh not just the communication but like you say the in-person side yeah Mm. victoria um i would say for me it's a mix of two things so as i said before i love going to the gym but this year has been the year for me for audiobooks and podcasts Um, and i know that i know that those are two very very popular things for everyone at the minute but i like to combine them um, because I've started, and I, I only recently just started doing this, but I've started kind of lifting weights. I was doing weight machines, hmm. but I've actually started using bars and stuff. Oh. And I'm amazed at how strong I'm becoming. And that's kind of, that's very important. That's <laughs> uh, cool. So I quite like that 
and also if you're listening to an audiobook I think it's very different because I used to listen to music and you get pumped up for that mm. but when you're listening to an audiobook or podcast you're having to connect your body and your mind together to make sure you concentrate whereas with music you're kind of just bobbing along and you know you sometimes I didn't feel like I had a structure Hmm. when I was listening to music but because I'm having to keep up with the conversation as well as keep up with my workout Hmm. I feel like that has helped me not just it's helped me physically a lot but also it has helped me mentally because I can keep I can keep that focus for a lot longer whereas if I was listening to music and a song came on that I wasn't too fussed on I just click on my phone and go to the next track but with a podcast or an audiobook you just continually listen so it's not like your concentration is kind of zapped because you're having to change something it's right there um plus the gym for me especially kind of cardio and weights um having that nice kind of balance of both has really has really helped me um just because obviously I'm a runner as well so I've noticed I've noticed such a huge change in my legs and being able to kind of hold myself as well Mm. Uh, so I would say that not that I would recommend the gym to everyone because the gym isn't for everyone and that's totally fine but I think for me um, especially kind of since the year I've had that the gym has been one of the most important elements that I've implemented and that I hope to keep on for the future that's cool though and I think we've covered quite nicely the different aspects of there's different sides to sport and fitness that people can try as well is it is something mm-hmm. that for I think for a lot of people that is a very positive um, thing to try um, but also recognize yeah there's different things um, it running might not be your thing but there might be something else that you can do um, mm-hmm. that, that engages you a little bit more um, I yeah I've used uh, I've used music before for, for running um, but I've I generally don't now um and i have to admit i will um i will listen to mainly podcasts although i have noticed that there are some that (laughs) some that are not quite a tone for running um so anything that's like really conversational based is really good because it kind of keeps like you mentioned that kind of the tempo um Mm -hmm. is really good but um podcasts that really like really engage me or make me chuckle like my dad wrote a porno <laughs> like I can't because I just start laughing and I'm like that's not great for <laughs> it's not great for like keeping me going and running and um so yeah stuff that's really conversational I find quite good because it helps the the tempo and I've definitely found that and again it is mainly for running that I will I'll run a little bit slower um, with a podcast than music because I'm missing that um, that like boost that you mentioned but generally mm-hmm. I can go further um, yeah and whether that balances out in terms of not using that boost I don't know but yeah it's just trying to find um, what works for you I think but mm-hmm. um, yeah a range of, of different um, tips and experiences there um, I think it'd be really nice to maybe have you guys back in future and hear a little bit more from you because I think there's so much more that we we can talk about, but I worry that we're all all creeping up to two hours. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so if uh, if people wanted to find out a little bit more about you, um, your story, or who you are, uh, Molly, where could they go and how can they get in contact with you? 
I'm on Twitter um, and I'm on Twitter as Molly Scott 93. Um, that's really the only platform I'm using for anything mental health related at the moment. But yeah, Twitter. Awesome. Uh, and Vicky? Yes, I am on Twitter and Instagram on at Virtual Snowflake. And then my blog is retrosnowflakes.wordpress.com. So you can find me on all three of those. Thanks. And thank you so much for coming on and um, sharing your experiences from, I think we've stretched this year a little bit because there's been a lot of us going, uh, yeah, last year. Oh, in 2012. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, thank you for coming on and, and sharing your stories and your experiences. And um, I'd love to have you back on again and maybe talk a little bit more about your um, individual stories at a future time as well. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, I guess all that's left to say is um, I hope you've had a great Christmas. And um, depending on when this goes up, Happy New Year, or I hope you had a Happy New Year. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I will talk to you both very soon. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. She's not a great match for me, and that's okay. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. I feel like a lot of the friends that I did have have sort of stopped speaking to me because of it and the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. Not only did this help me to write it, Mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well, so it sort of started from there. And then she was like, "Okay, tell me a bit about what's going on? So I told her everything and her face dropped. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. And I don't think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it.